Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Join Hoda Kotfi for a brand new season of her podcast, Making Space. For season five, I am making space to talk to people who are providing a sense of hope and inspiration when life changes course. Uplifting conversations with inspiring individuals like NFL legend Drew Brees, singer-songwriter Ziggy Marley, and today's show co-anchor Savannah Guthrie as you have never heard her before. I found faith more viscerally not because the bad thing didn't happen, but because it did. I promise you, like me, will leave these conversations with some wisdom for your own journey, empowered and inspired to make space in your own life. New episodes of Making Space with Hoda Kotb are released every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. And definitely check out those shows as well. Also, just a quick note that submissions for the Zibby Awards are open and will close on September 15th. Go to zibbyowens.com and you will find the Zibby Awards open submissions where we celebrate all the under-celebrated parts of a book, like the best spine, the best author's note, the best table of contents. And authors can nominate their own best publicists, best editors, and so on. There will be an in-person award ceremony in October in New York. You will not want to miss it. Go to zibbyowens.com. Emily Tish Sussman is a podcaster whose podcast is She Pivots. She's a podcast host, a women's empowerment and family policy advocate, leading democratic political strategist, contributor to Marie Claire and Parents, and the mother of three. 
On her previous podcast, Your Political Playlist, she interviewed countless leaders and influential women, including Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Secretary Hillary Clinton, Stacey Abrams, Yara Shahidi, and more. As a political correspondent in Parents Magazine, Emily acts as an expert voice, bringing the most important political issues affecting families and women to the forefront in a thoughtful and effective manner. Emily is a staunch advocate of women's rights and helped to shape the leading principles for the inaugural Women's March in January 2017. She recently served as senior advisor for Paid Leave U.S., and is a constant advocate for how policies can support families and businesses. She has extensive experience guiding young activists, having previously served as executive director for Young Democrats of America, and is founder of Think Blue, an organization to increase youth participation in the democratic electoral process. Emily has nearly 300 appearances on MSNBC, CNN, Fox News, HLN, and CBS. She has contributed to publications like Parents Magazine, Marie Claire Bustle, She Knows, and HuffPost. Her views are also frequently featured in national news outlets, including the New York Times, Newsweek, Reuters, and Politico. She is the current host of Parent Magazine's Mom Run the World segment on Instagram Live. A New York Giants fan and a lifelong musical theater enthusiast, Emily considers her experience as a camp counselor for girls in Massachusetts amongst her most fulfilling roles. She lives in New York with her husband and three children. Welcome, Emily. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss really everything from women's rights and your career and podcasting and writing and, and all the all the good things in your life. Well, thanks so much for having me. I genuinely feel like I cannot remember the last time I got past the first chapter of a book. So I <laughs> really resonates and I'm thrilled to be on. Thank you. <laughs> How old are your kids now? Five, four, and two. Oh man. Yeah. So I'll read again one day, right? Yes. And it won't be as long as you think. Just, (laughs) I feel like my, my whole goal was like to get my youngest to kindergarten, but then it turned out that was during like lockdown. So I was like, anyway, now I, I I feel like now with my youngest in first grade actually in school, I have time. You can actually read again. I look forward to the day. I used to love to read. (laughs) I feel like it's a picture book. It's endless emails from school. That's what I'm reading. Yes. Especially this time of year. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Like running from book fair to orthodontist to like whatever. I'm like, I can't even keep my life straight. (laughs) So you have had this sort of meteoric career. You have... You have this new-ish podcast. You talk to all sorts of political leaders, women's rights advocates, focusing on women. You write with such passion about the issues. You're an advocate. I feel like, when are you running for office is sort of my next (laughs) question. How did this all come about? Like, when did you get started? Give me, like, the backstory. Okay. So God, how did that was such a nice intro. I'm like still stuck in it. I was like, wow, that sounds so nice. So, <laughs> so I've always just been kind of fired up, like in a way that my peers were not necessarily in the same way. It didn't necessarily translate to me being a great student. Actually. I was just sort of really fired up about the state of the world. And I felt like I had, a, I had responsibility, but I didn't, because I didn't have the confidence because I hadn't been I didn't have that reinforcement from academics that I was smart, that I thought, oh, I'm so overwhelmed by what to do in the world, but I don't know what I can do about it. So it took until graduating from college. I worked on my first political campaign and I was like, yes, this is the thing. I am so good at this. <laughs> the world. And it took all of these things that I didn't know were skills 
you know, I could bring my team along. I could bring the morale along with us. I could work endlessly long hours. I could multitask lots of different schedules at the same time. Like all of these things that I didn't know were skills really helped me thrive in a campaign environment. So that set me on the path of, okay, I can do something with this fired upness. I went, we lost that campaign, sadly. But it did set me towards law school, which again, I did not think that I could have done. I didn't have the confidence to do it, but having marked the campaign, I did. Law school was another place where I was like, okay, I'm really good at this. I can do this. It just kind of lit something under me. And I thought, well, you know, what can other people do versus what skills do I bring? That's like always been the mindset that I've gone into like any kind of work environment. And I felt like there were so many issues that I cared about, but the place that I really felt like I could thrive and what I could bring to it with my skill set was seeing things that didn't exist and like putting concrete steps to them. So at that point in time, it was, it was LGBT rights. It wasn't even LGBTQ rights. It was just LGBT rights at that time. There was only a marriage decision in Massachusetts, but I felt like the gaping wide open space with no rights, this is a place that I could work. Mm-hmm. So I ended up after I graduated law school, I worked on the Obama campaign and then I moved to Washington because I felt like everyone moved to Washington <laughs> if you wanted to change the world. <laughs> As a lifelong New Yorker, I never thought I would do it. But so I ended up working for an organization, a small nonprofit organization called the Service Members Legal Defense Network, where we were the lawyers for people who were in the military who were being discharged under the Don't Ask, Don't Tell law. So if you have some younger listeners, they may not actually be familiar with Don't Ask, Don't Tell, but it was the most discriminatory law that we had, federal law that we had. It was the only law that mandated somebody be fired because of who they are. So we were their actual attorneys. I worked on the government affairs side, which meant that I worked on repealing Don't Ask, Don't Tell for about two years and then stayed on with the Pentagon for about a year, working on the implementation of the law. So actually going into effect. From there, Obama was going to be reelected. I thought, okay, I want to get back into this action. So I ran the Young Democrats of America for his reelection campaign. And after that, I went to go work for the largest progressive think tank, Center for American Progress, where I ran campaigns and strategy for about six years. And I loved it. I loved everything about my job. I loved being in the work. I loved taking on hard tasks. I could outwork. I I mean, one of the things that I would regularly say is that sometimes you can just outwork your opposition. And that is the only way that I saw myself. It was my whole identity was outworking the competition, being the hardest work in the room, like staying dedicated, never turning off. And that did not coincide. That did not, that was not a lifestyle for having (laughs) three kids in three years, it turns out. Turns out you can't do both of those things at the same time. You can't do much with three kids in three years, let let alone that. But anyway. So my first I had during the 2016 presidential campaign, which honestly the biggest hardship in that for me was that I couldn't work on the campaign because people don't work on campaigns pregnant. People don't work on campaigns with babies. So even just letting go of that was kind of a hit to my sense of self and what I felt like was my sense of purpose. I've been an on-air political commentator on politics for about 10 years. So I was on CNN the day that I went into labor with my son. And I was, one of my friends was doing her first TV hit later that day. And she was like texting me for tips on it. And I was like, hey, yeah, I was like, BRB, I'm getting an epidural. And she's like, are you having a baby right now? I was like, yes, I'm having a baby right now. But, you know, like sending kids to the green room. Because, <laughs> like, like, that's what I'm comfortable with. Like, having a baby, not comfortable. Going on Fox News to debate presidential politics, totally comfortable. 
That is what I was giving my friends tips on. So the second one, so my job changed immediately during the Trump administration because just the timing and sense of my job changed. It meant that the pace picked up a lot because nobody knew what Trump was, what policies he, he was going to announce and when. And he announced a lot of new policies Friday nights and Sundays. And for any mom, that means no childcare. So suddenly I was pregnant with a baby. Oh, I got pregnant immediately after, after the first one. So I was pregnant with a baby and running all of these like new strategy calls that we had no preparation for with no childcare. So when I went on maternity leave with the second one, I thought I cannot go back into this job. Like it it killed me. It was the only sense of self that I had. It was the only way I knew myself, but I knew that I was failing in my job and I was failing with my kids. So I didn't go back after my second maternity leave, which also I hated to play into that stereotype of someone who doesn't come back after maternity leave. And I started doing some political consulting and I felt like the thing that was really firing me up at that moment was, was bringing relatable, conversational, accessible information about policy to people. Like in Washington, I know that sounds kind of obvious, but like in Washington, that's not value. Like knowledge and that, like that's the currency of Washington. So there's not a lot of value placed on making things really accessible to people. So I started a podcast called Your Political Playlist, where I brought on all female experts to really break down what issues were happening in the world and happening in the presidential primary at that point, the 2020 primary. And I, the reason I brought on all female experts is because that's who I would go to. That's mm-hmm. like, like I literally called the people that I call before I go on TV. <laughs> and I opened up the conversation to that with them. And I felt like I saw a pattern in policy uh, where women would do all the work and then not put their names out for the things that end up getting them like kind of street cred to be considered like a quote expert on something. So if I could give them expert podcast hits to then build their expertise and build that piece of their portfolio, that's 100% what I wanted to be doing. So your political playlist ran for about two and a half years. And then I had a third baby. So I've now had three babies and a third in a global pandemic in three and a half years. And it just, you know, I think the way that a lot of us- I could give you some tips. I mean, there are ways you don't, I mean, if you you need some advice on, on spacing out the next one, I think there are things you could do, but you know, you, you know. Well, my mother will tell anyone who will listen. She'll say, oh, my daughter's a lawyer and she can't figure out how to not get pregnant. (laughs) They'll tell anyone. She's like, do you think she's so smart? But, you know, it just, any sense of trying to have those same kind of professional benchmarks that I was still trying to be active with, even doing it as a consultant and as a political podcast host, I still couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. Like I still couldn't make it with a third baby and having two toddlers at home. And they were home all the time, as we all know. And, you know, like I just didn't have the same support. So I still couldn't do it. So I started thinking about where am I going to get stories of inspiration? Like I need some stories of inspiration here. And I felt like my friends needed them too. So I started seeking out stories of women who had gone through something very personal, like not a professional change, like a personal change. And it changed their opportunities and it changed their perspective. And then they found a different kind of professional success after that. But like they couldn't have done it if they hadn't gone through 
first the career, then the personal change, then the change in perspective. So like I wanted, the, like I needed those stories. I still need those stories. This is, this is my story, by the way. Def, we can talk about that another time, but yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like we all need it. And like, we need the stories of inspiration and, you know, the amount that you have done to be open about that provides a pathway and provides inspiration for so many women, myself included. So that's how I came to start this new podcast, She Pivots. It is literally just a show, I mean, just a show. It is the stories I need where every single story is totally different. I felt like if I had a whole show of women who were in the same position as me, it would be really depressing of like women. So, <laughs> so I wrote an article, my kids killed my career. That's how I felt. But you know, everybody's personal event is totally different. Everybody's story is totally different. Their career is totally different. This week, we have a Navy officer who served in the Navy, went to the Naval Academy, came out as trans, and that ended her, her Navy career. But then she became a trauma nurse and then a lawyer after that. And now she's a hospital executive. Things she never could have done had she not come out and left the Navy, which was very difficult for her. But, you know, so every, every story is so different because I, I really want everyone to see a pathway into it. Like, you know, the pandemic's been really hard for moms and moms of young kids, but it's been hard for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I want everyone to be able to see themselves in some of these stories. That's amazing. Hey, grown-ups! The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishful podcast studio from the Cat in the Hat himself, and it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast, and those plans are the opposite of quiet. The cat may be disruptive, but it turns out he's also a great help to get fish out of all kinds of predicaments. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes, the Cat in the Hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode. So sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic Tongue Twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. So some of the issues, of course, as a Democrat and as a woman and all of that, that I read that you've been, you know, supporting, discussing, debating, blah, 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 one of which is paid leave, right, for women. And you are now, you know, it's interesting to hear me, hear you talk about how you personally, you couldn't even go back to your job of fighting for paid leave because you didn't have paid leave. <laughs> I mean, it's like so meta in a way. Paid leave, gun control, like with all of the stuff going on now, how are you feeling about like the fight for all of this? Do we have, like, what is your take on everything, I guess, at this moment? And are you going to go, do you see yourself going into politics as an actual, as a politician on the politician side as opposed to the activism side? Well, I don't think I'm going to run for office, if that is the question. Like I've been... No, I feel like I've been close enough to it to look, I'm pro pivot 
Like I want everyone to explore what works for them in their life at that moment. And I want other moms and other women to be running for office. I think I feel like I get the platform that I want to have now. And I'm very lucky in being able to do that. And, and until that changes, like this is the platform that I'm going to use, you know, whether it's podcasting or writing articles or organizing, I have in this past year, trying to position myself in a parenting space, I've been pretty conscious of trying to do less political commentary because I'm kind of over-indexed there. Okay. <laughs> um, and establish myself more in like a, you know, a, a parenting, non-political space. The last couple of weeks have been super tough to do that. You know, yeah. starting with the leaking of the inevitable Supreme Court decision that's going to overturn Roe v. Wade you know, seeing the increase in shootings, you know, the fact that we haven't passed paid leave, that's, that has been my last political client for the last year is trying to pass national paid leave, you know, seeing these things, but I'm coming to it from a different perspective than I had before. Like my brain, every time I saw like a news alert or crisis, like my brain would turn on into campaign manager mode. And I would Mm -hmm. say, and I would do an evaluation of the landscape, the assets, the legislative blocks that we might have. And to some degree, I do that now. I think I'll never be able to really turn that off. But also my instinct has always been to just throw myself into it, like physically throw myself into it, not sleep, organize, like ne- just kind of never stop. And that is truly not an option now. I mean, you know, I picked my son up from school yesterday. I was in the middle of trying to finalize a number of things, including I'm organizing moms in my community right now to go visit our member of Congress. I picked my son up from school. The place we thought we were going was unexpectedly closed. He wanted to go to this other place and I had no cell service for two hours. So, you know, like, and I want to allow space for that in my life. Yes. And the, the political worker in me would have said like, sorry, kid, we're going back home to where I have like my full, you know, plugged in what's the opposite of Wi-Fi, you know, like, like ether cord or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but my son was having a great time at the place that he wanted to go to. And so that wins for me now. I can't help myself. Like I'm still organizing moms. I drove to all of my members of Congress's district offices last week to try to speak to a staff member. And there was nobody, like I literally drove around the entire district for like three hours and there was nobody working in any of his offices. My member of Congress is Lee Zeldin, in case anyone's wondering. You should also be calling him to find out why there's nobody working in his offices because he is running for governor of New York. So, you know, we should find out why his staff can't take our calls or listen to us. So it's the first time I've ever lived in a Republican district. So I have a Republican member of Congress for the first time. I plan on utilizing that. But as a constituent, like as a, as a mom, as a member of the community, as an organizer, not necessarily as a campaign director. I mean, on the other hand, I did get on the phone with every town and they told me what they wanted us to do in the district. And I said, no, we're doing something else. So you <laughs> can't totally shut it down. <laughs> I get it. I get it. You're, uh, you're trying hard to keep yourself a little bit on, on the bench, but you know, you keep sneaking onto the field basically is what's going on here. <laughs> but, but you know what? That two hours with your son is going to be one of the times you remember the most. And I feel like another call at home would have just, you never would have remembered that. He wouldn't have remembered that. I don't know. I feel like women need to hard charging, amazing women like you should know that like that is really a worthy thing. It's awesome. You did that. And it's important 
to take all those times and what? do everything else. But you know, everybody has their own choices in life. Right. I mean, everybody has to figure out what works for them, but I'm also open now in a way that I wasn't before. Like I had a meeting yesterday morning where I had one failed potty training situation and another projectile vomiting situation and <laughs> simultaneous and a third going to school where I forgot to pack him, send him with an empty lunchbox. And I had a meeting and I said, you know what? I'm really sorry. This meeting isn't going to work for me. Like my kids are sick and yeah. we're just going to have to, re-. like, it was something that was not necessarily that time sensitive. Yep. You know, sure. It looked a little bad on me to be canceling or moving a meeting, but I was open about why I was doing it. And I yeah. feel like we're not going to culturally change unless we're open about that. Totally. I have someone on my team now who I know has, you know, two kids at home with COVID and she was trying to email and I just finally texted her. I was like, put on your auto reply and just forward your emails. Let someone else, like, don't even try this. Like, cause every time I talk to her, she's like, well, they're watching a movie. I'm like, no, no, just, it's okay. It's, this is not rocket science here. Like go take care of your kids who are sick. It's all right. It's, it's all going to be okay. Well, you setting that example as a boss will then set it'll set the tone and it'll set the tone for them and it'll set the tone for the next place they go work. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, you know, as I like do my calls from the orthodontist office, seriously. So it doesn't always work out perfectly, but you know, we all have to try and make it work. It's sort of an impossible situation that we all have to wade, wade our way through. And, you know, that's kind of it. I do have a question about, you're saying organizing moms and all of this stuff. And this is more on a personal note, but I have been like everybody, you know, just horrified by this latest gun, this latest school shooting at Rob Elementary and the incident in Buffalo. And then like every day, like all of this stuff. And I naively was sort of like, is there something new we could try? Like, I know there are these things in place. I know we are calling Congress or, you know, we are sending letters. I fill out like all the stuff, you know, like do this, I do it. Donate here, I donate. But like, is there anything else? Like, is there something we haven't thought of? Is there something we haven't tried could we go at this problem a different way? Is it through the mental health of the shooters versus the controlling of the implements of violence? Like, is it everything? Is it, so I don't know, my mind has been spinning in the last couple of weeks, like, you know, totally in support of all of the organizations already fighting the good fight and I'm, I'm behind them and we'll do whatever, but is there is there anything else? And I don't know if you have also been sort of stewing on this, but, and maybe there is no answer. Maybe it's just like silly to waste time, but I always just like to try to look at it a little differently and just see like, is there another way into this that will make a difference? Do you have any? Yeah, I think we're all spinning. Like it's hard to think through trauma and we've been through two consistent years of trauma to begin with. So I think it's totally fair to be spinning. I think the thing that I do know is gun policy. And so, you know, less so in other areas, but I'm happy to give insights into where that stands right now. We are, the reason that we are at a, kind of a deadlock in passing what feels like really, I worked on the last background checks bill that was in the Senate, the Manchin to me background checks bill in 2013 that came out before, after the Newtown shooting. And the reason we kind of maintain in this deadlock is because the other, is that people that are pro-gun, it feels ingrained, it's not just cultural, but it's ingrained in their identity. And so they are extremely active and vocal about it. Like even the naming how much money politicians take from the NRA is actually not a very good indicator of who, like of what is motivating them because it's actually not the money, it's the intensity. It's that the people who live in their district truly vote and organize because they feel it is an attack on their identity. So there needs to be equal and opposite pressure on the other side. 
it needs to be an issue where, you know, this does end up breaking down Democrat, Republican for the most part. It needs, you know, it needs to be an issue where Democrats feel like they have so much pressure coming from their constituents, the people they represent, that they have to push the issue. Mm -hmm. And if they live in a moderate district, they're always going, which at this point, the way gerrymandering and redistricting is gone, it is mostly suburbs is where the swing districts are. It's New York, New Jersey, Texas, Florida, California, Ohio, or like the big swing districts and suburbs. And those are House versus Senate. And they need to be able to, and this is true of senators from those states as well, but they need to feel like they're they're in the middle. So they need to feel like if there's an issue that they're going to go really left on, they need to have something from the left that they're not satisfying. And often that will be guts is the thing that drops for them. So they need to feel like there's so much pressure from their constituents, they can't drop guns. A number of background checks and other laws like closing the Charleston loophole have already been passed through the House. That legislation is sitting there. We have a bicameral system now that Biden will will sign it. Now the Senate needs to pass something. Chris Murphy, from the senator from Connecticut, is working on bipartisan legislation right now with Republicans that Chuck Schumer, as the majority leader, will bring to the floor if he feels like it satisfies him. So it feels like there is something potentially moving, but I would say the way, you know, you're saying you call, you email all of it. The way those work is that it's either a message machine or an intern that calls when you pick, when you call a congressional office, you know, this from calling, they just, all they do is they take down what issue you're calling on. And if you're for or against, and they tally them up at the end of the day and they were, and they show them to their boss, that is how it works. So you do not need to have a long speech. You can just say what issue you're calling on. And if you're for or against, and you can basically do it every day, but they do tally them and they look to see if they're getting high intensity on issues. You know, if they feel like there's something they don't want to have to vote on, but they're getting so much, so many calls and they feel like they have to. And I would say it is a general rule. However, whatever effort, like how much effort it takes you to put something into their office, the more they have to respond to it. So mm-hmm. if it's like a form email, they'll probably just filter them out to be okay. honest with you. If it's a call, they will have to pay attention. If it's a handwritten letter, it actually gets siphoned off into an anthrax sorting facility and will take an additional three weeks to get to their office. Oh my gosh. So if it seems, even though it seems like a handwritten letter is a great idea, it actually won't arrive in a timely way. Interesting. And the same is true of social media, that they tally up what issues they're getting tagged in and for and against at the end of every day. So if they're getting a big blast on something, their digital director will have to report it up to their chief of staff every day. So I would say as a general rule, the more the more contacts and the more effort it puts in, the more of an impact it makes. Okay. Interesting. Thank you. <laughs> Excellent insight. I mean, the way that we're organizing now is we've both requested a meeting with our member of Congress as concerned moms. And also we're organizing moms that we're going to have like an organizing evening together. We're going to make cards, like, you know, like big construction paper cards. And we're going to drop him off as an off as his office, and we're going to ask him to respond to us. Amazing. Okay. Well, where do we, if let's say there are people who want to join your particular fight in that neighborhood, do you have like a sign up or something? That is a great question. We don't have it quite yet. We're kind of waiting to see how it plays out with the meeting request. But you can send us a DM at She Pivots the Podcast. Okay, and we'll get you in. Okay. All right. She Pivots the Podcast. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Okay. Well. You are like so bright and inspirational. I love hearing your passion for everything. And I think it's super smart that you know your limits right this very second and yet are still in the game, you know, not to be 
you know, condescending. My kids are only a couple years older, but I do feel like my youngest now is seven and my oldest is you know, almost 15 and there will be more bandwidth very soon. So this period does, this period does pass. That is not know, kind of haze, very but. inspirational. I need that. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm like, how am I supposed to enjoy every minute when every minute lasts like 16 years? You know, <laughs> anyway, but yeah, and then it's gone. So, well, it was great chatting with you. Thank you so much for coming on and I hope to stay in touch. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be on with you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 